0: Only one kiss per yard, the smirking male clerk said. Not to be taken back by the harassment, the woman said, That's fine. I'll take ten yards. With expectation, right, and anticipation written all over his face, the clerk hurriedly measured out and wrapped the cloth. Then he held out teasingly, leaning forward to receive his quote unquote payment. The woman snapped up the package, pointed to a little old man standing next to her. Grandpa will pay the bill, she smiled. (laughs) <laughs> that's great. That's great, you know? Expectations. You know, that's on a small scale, a silly thing, but paints the picture like, you know, we get these expect- expectations and um, things in life, you know, we expect or have hopes that things will go a particular way, and sometimes they don't, or many times they don't. Um, you know, we hope uh, that our children will go a particular way. We hope that maybe a job will go a particular way. Uh, we hope that maybe, um, uh, you know, our futures will go a different way, our marriages, our relationships. We have this idea and this hope, especially when they first start. We're going home. We're ready to go for this thing. And then as time goes, and it doesn't pan out quite as we expected or thought, right, it gets discouraging. And depending upon how long we sit with that and battle with that, that can get, as we mentioned before, to some really unhealthy places. The only thing worse than that is when we've trusted God and trusted Jesus and we still get disappointed. Then it's like, that's crushing. Lord, I trusted you for this. I went out on a limb to do those memory verses. I went out on a limb to serve you. I went out on a limb to sacrifice in this particular area. This was risky for me. I didn't even understand it all at the time, but I still followed through and then I did it. And now it's seeming, what is this? It seems like you're just leaving me high and dry. That's when it really hits. That's when it's really crushing. Really difficult. And... Um, When Jesus died and he rose again, the common understanding among his followers and disciples was not Easter morning, suits, dresses, smelling good, looking good, he is risen. Right? That's not it. You like that? That's not it. It was what happened. They were crushed, they were devastated. This was their Messiah, their man that they have been with, that they followed, and then all they know is there's an empty tomb and it doesn't make any sense. So we're going to take a look at why maybe it should have made sense and what maybe we can glean away and take away from that to maybe help us when things get a little bit discouraging. So let's take a look. Luke 24, verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them, right, and we pick up, just so you know. Um, I'll look real quick in Luke 24, verse 12. I'll just back up one verse so you can just understand the way it flows here. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. So he's at the tomb. We also know from John's Gospel, he's at the tomb as well. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Right? It wasn't he is risen, suit, smelling good, looking good, happy about it. It's like, what is going on? Misunderstanding, confusion. So now verse 13. So now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Everybody say Emmaus. 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 It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And so you have a little... Uh, probably a letter that's like bolder in your Bible next to seven miles and it refers down right it says about sixty stadia eleven kilometers and then um, some bible commentators believe it's about seven and a half miles. So I just round that up to eight just to give a <laughs> just to make it close here. And then I was trying to put it in our perspective, you know so they're walking Right? Not driving in their car. They are walking to Jerusalem about 8 miles from them. So, man, if I was going to foot it and walk to middle of Seymour from here, it's a pretty hefty walk. That's a good walk. Now, I don't know if they had kids, but, I mean, this is, this is a healthy walk here. Um, and that walk is really like the walk of shame for them. What's happening? I don't know. I don't get it. You know? Um... So verse 14. They're talking... Oh, and one other thing I just wanted to share with you. If you try and uh, Google and figure out, where is Emmaus? Like, you know, where is that today, currently, location? Nobody's really quite sure. Nobody's really quite sure. Um, Supposedly, the name Emmaus, um, it does actually mean warm baths. So there could have been like warm springs there and you know probably a nice place so maybe some place around Jerusalem now that has you know warm springs maybe that was a spot and there's a lot of guesses but nonetheless the location isn't incredibly important it's kind of what's happening on the way. So verse 14 They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other Jesus himself came up and walked along with them But they're kept from recognizing Him. Awesome. And how does that happen? They're walking and talking and trying to figure things out, trying to understand it all, and then Jesus just shows up and they don't recognize it as Jesus and they're still carrying on in this conversation. So let's see, verse 17. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, or faces were sad. I think I have a slide up here about downcast and sad and what it means. We'll get to it in a minute. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? So these guys are walking, talking along. Discouragement is written on their faces and on their body language. And it says downcast, right? They were sad. They were gloomy. Right? They were discouraged. That's where they're at. That's where their heart is at. Go on to the next slide here. Look at discouraged. What does discouragement actually mean? If you had to put a definition to it, well I thought this one was pretty accurate. Discouraged. Discouragement. Having lost confidence or enthusiasm, they're disheartened, they're depressed. Having lost confidence or enthusiasm, disheartened, or depressed. I can think of a lot of people like that, unfortunately. They just lost their zeal, their enthusiasm. Maybe at one point, in some scenario, in a particular situation, <laughs> let's go. Let's do it. And then as life goes, as Jesus talks about the parable of the four soils, the stresses and the worries and the concerns of this world just starts to choke that stuff out. You know, and over time, some of us can become. Unenthusiastic. We lose confidence in ourselves and what we can do and what God wants to do through us. Come disheartened and become depressed. These are where these guys are at. God is allowing them to go to a low place. Why would God allow us to go to a low place? I think that's a fair question and a good question. Why would God allow us to go to a good place? I think one answer that is helpful and I'm not saying is the end-all be-all answer, but I think one that is helpful is that He lets us go to a low place so we can understand resurrection when we get to that place. When we get low, 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 and things are feeling like the world is caving in, quitting is the option, discouragement is raining the day, we choose to allow God in and let us pick us up out of that, there's only one person to point back to. There's only one testimony to have. And there's only really one reality for us of the resurrection power in our lives. Otherwise, it's just been nice talking pieces and optimistic and encouraging stories. Only when we get lifted out of that bottom, we're like, whoa. I was a mess. Apart, broken. I had nothing. I couldn't, even if I wanted to give and put effort in a direction, I couldn't even do it. I tell you, my God is real. Let me tell you how. Those are the testimonies that just rock people's worlds. But it's really hard to get there because, man, we're just fight getting so low. And when we're in that low and difficult and depressing and disappointing place, it's very tempted to just bail or get paralyzed or just get caught up with other stuff. Isn't it easy? It's very easy. So that's where these guys are at. And I don't think... I'm exaggerating it too much. I mean, you got to understand, these are followers of the Messiah of Jesus. They had high, high, high hopes. And for many of these people, they left everything to go follow this man. Especially the apostles. Leaving everything. I mean, can you imagine selling your house tomorrow, your cars, anything that you might have? Some people are like, well, I don't have anything, so, hey, let's go. But then, but, but it, right, you had some stuff and you just sold all of it and just said, hey, we're following this person, this thing right here. Your family would think you're insane. Everybody would think that you are nuts. And then to have it look like a supposed failure, not making you feel real good. So Jesus, verse 19, just kind of being a wise guy here. What things? What are you talking about? You know, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And like they're talking to Jesus. <laughs> he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Look at this, look at this. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. their hopes were dashed right their hopes were dashed he's going to redeem Israel part of the plan first is he had to redeem man that had to happen and what is more it's the third day since all this took place so they knew something important was supposed to happen on the third day supposed to rise maybe see him they just know they don't see him and people are at the tomb and they don't know where he is Verse 22, In addition, some of our women... Hey, look at the women. They get a shout out here. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find His body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said He was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see so they lay out the whole story for him and say man this is just a conflicting confusing report he was a prophet he was powerful it's the third day we don't see him the women are talking about something with angels the guys went and checked it out officially and uh, nothing was there we're bummed So, Jesus, verse 25, doesn't sound super compassionate. But I think he was being compassionate. Who knows how he delivered this message? But if you just read the words, it doesn't sound super compassionate. Verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So this is very interesting. So they lay it out. Jesus says, really? This is surprising to you, huh? So verse 25, one thing that stuck out to me as I was just thinking about it. right, You can be a follower of Christ and be foolish. That's what verse 25 tells me. They were followers of Christ. They were disciples of His. They followed Him around and they're still being foolish. Maybe you know that really well for somebody else. Hopefully you know that really well for yourself. We can be followers. Just because we, got, we have committed our lives to Christ and have tried to follow Him and maybe we show up for church and do the responsibilities we're supposed to do, it just doesn't automatically make us right in life. Not at all in any way. We could still be foolish. They were with him. They were in synagogue. They read their Bibles. It wasn't the same Bible we had, right? The Old Testament, the Torah. They had it. They're still being foolish. Still being silly. But here's one of the biggest things that I think was like one of the biggest problems for them for their discouragement. At least in this situation. It's centered around their understanding with what God has said. That's really important. So their discouragement was being experienced because they did not quite understand what God had said. So that's like very difficult for somebody who doesn't buy into God at all because they don't care at all what He says. But for those of us that do believe in God and do have a relationship with Him. We do believe that He is in complete and total control. And when we think things are going to happen a certain way and they don't, right, it gets discouraging. Interesting thing is is that they have read and that they were with Jesus. So what the heck happened? Where's the disconnect here? So here's only two things I could come up with. There's maybe two ways that they could be reading their Bibles. Right? Bible study is very important. Could be two ways. Number one, they were not, and I think I have it up here in case you forget. Number one, they weren't believing what they read, like it wasn't really going to take place. Or, number two, they were just selectively reading passages that they liked. Because Jesus said, How slow of heart are you to not believe all the prophets have spoken? Didn't the Christ have to suffer these things and then go into glory? He had to suffer, then go into glory? And then in verse 27, right, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus... Is going to now help them right with their Bible reading time because obviously there's some kind of disconnect. Something's going on here. And I think um, for us, uh, this could be very important and very helpful as far as how we approach the Bible and Bible reading because it could really help set some things straight in our mind and help get our expectations maybe a little bit more properly aligned. So not believing what they read. So... Yes, it is hard to believe. Some things that are in the Bible, that is for sure. I guess one of the bigger beefs that I have with certainly other um, faiths, parts of faith, is that, hey, the Bible, some of it, you can't just, it's not literal. You just take it, you know, as metaphors and just use it such and such way. Um, and the reasoning for that usually is not very good. And... Um, One of the nice things about some people not growing up in church and not being a part of church for a long time is that they don't have a lot of church baggage with them. So when they go to read the Bible they just believe what it says. They haven't been taught well that doesn't really happen now we're not really in that way and you got to say this thing first and be a part of this group and talk to these people. They just believe it and they just want to do the stuff. Which is pretty awesome. And um, so many times I think we can get our analytical minds like in the way and make things difficult. And then we tie in our experience with maybe we haven't seen or heard a lot of these things that are in there so I guess he doesn't do that anymore. Well, maybe not in our little circle but let's look big picture because he's not just operating in my area he's operating in this whole area all over the world. And then selectively reading. They could have been doing that. Man, I'll tell you. I almost never see on Twitter or on Facebook or on Pinterest the verses of how much we must suffer for the Gospel. I never see it. In fact, I myself personally, many times very hesitant to hit the like button on that one. Or the little heart. Or favorite it. Or whatever. That's not really... Uh, a fun or enjoyable part of the message. But you can't have the gospel without it. They made it very clear he had to suffer. The prophets, the Old Testament made it very clear the Messiah had to suffer before he entered into glory. Should be an expectation for us. I... uh I was reading. What was I reading this past week a particular passage in Judges? You know, it was just like a depressing thing, and it was just a rough time. And and I, I thought to myself, I was like, you know, what? I should. I'll put that one on the church Facebook page. You know, it's a good one. You know, to share. Maybe somebody will see the, the part of Jesus in there somewhere. But then I was like, no, that's like too depressing. I don't want to put that on today. But. Like that's it's part of the Bible, you know. We got to get like the whole thing in there and be experienced and well versed as far as what it says and what we should be looking for. First Peter promises us that we're going to suffer for the sake of the gospel. It's going to happen. I, I don't know, you know, how much that might mean for each person, what kind of persecution it might be, or um, it's going to happen nonetheless, though. Absolutely, it's guaranteed. So Jesus, what he does then, there's a disconnect with the Bible, he decides to give them a commentary through the Bible personally all the way to Jerusalem. So he said what, about 8 miles? About 8 miles. So let's say, let's say they're slowly walking, because they're depressed. They're slowly walking, let's say. And they're depressed. And now they're like talking Bible stuff. So maybe they're walking slower now, trying to figure it out as they walk. So let's say maybe they walk a mile in what? 20, 30 minutes? Trying to figure things out as they're walking? So, if they're going to walk about 8 miles, a little bit of math, I know. If they're going to walk about 8 miles, and they're maybe doing a mile every half hour, maybe that puts their trip at 3 to 3.5 miles three, three and a half hours? That's a long walk. That's a long walk. And Jesus spends the whole time preaching to them. maybe not so preaching, but talking and explaining and opening the scriptures. Starting right from the very beginning. Hey, listen, let me help you guys get it. And so he starts with Moses, goes through. I'm sure he's talking about Moses and Egypt and the Exodus and Passover. You know, and then he uh, works his way through maybe like the Old Testament books that aren't really fun to read. But he's pointing out through all those laws and all those sacrifices where Jesus is. And then he's going through uh, you know, maybe to David And talking about his Psalms and how they've lived and where Jesus is. Uh, And then maybe he's moving on to where Israel is being taken captive and talking about where Jesus is. And then he's going through maybe the Esther story and he's going through Nehemiah and he's talking about where Jesus is so they don't miss it. The Bible is layered on purpose with Jesus Himself. And as we come to grow and to read the Bible and look at that book and spend time with that, we should be, God should be doing a work, and we're at different places, but God should be doing a work to help us understand where Jesus is. Because it's all a testament to Him. The whole point of the Old Testament was just to point to a Messiah. What he would look like, what would happen, who would be involved, the way he would suffer, the way he would rise to glory. It was all to point to Jesus. And so we have to have that ability and let the Holy Spirit speak through us as we read through and get to certain passages and say, Where is Jesus in this? Where is Jesus? Where is his life? Where is what he said? Us as Bible students, we want to be able to do that when we're reading the Bible. Because it just all points to Him. It's all about Him. Because salvation is only found in Him. Because His work is the only work that mattered. Ours does not. Hopefully we can be faithful. That matters. But none of our works will save us eternally and do the work that had to be done on the cross right because otherwise he just died for nothing so he spends three and a half hours explaining to these guys about himself if there was one bible study I want to be a part of it was that one so throw me in the DeLorean I don't know what date to put in there but I'll put someplace close to that and wait it out I want to be on that road to Emmaus with those two guys Amazing. Here's one other thing I just want to say about Bible study before we move on to the next part here. Bible study does not necessarily bring someone closer to God. I didn't missay that. I said that how I wanted to say it. Bible study does not necessarily bring someone closer to God. Let me tell you why I'm saying that. So in John 5, verse 39 uh, through 40. I think I have it on the slide back there. Jesus is talking, and He's talking to the Pharisees at this point, the religious leaders of His day, who He ran them often, uh, had beef with and issues and difficulty, because they were misrepresenting God. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you. For you do not believe the One whom He has sent. Which, of course, Jesus is referring to Himself. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about Me. Which is what we just said, right? They all bear witness to Jesus. And so the Pharisees, nobody knew the Bible better than the Pharisees. Hands down, nobody. And nobody would argue with you about that. Nobody would argue about that. They had the most memory verses. They were the best at the sword drill. You know what the, the sword drill is? Right. This is your sword, so if I say, like, turn to, you know, Nahum, verse 5. They're there. They could actually probably have that memorized and tell it to you. That's how good these guys were. Every part, every aspect. And they had a commentary and an explanation for Everything. Nobody knew it better and they missed Jesus. Well, that's not a huge selling point to read your Bibles. No, it's a huge selling point to read your Bibles in the right way. Right? Because gaining information about God is not the same as meeting with God. Say that one again. Gaining information about God is not the same as meeting with God. I'll even go one step further. Someone could be declining spiritually, declining spiritually, and gaining knowledge about the Bible intellectually. Could absolutely happen. Someone could be declining spiritually and gaining knowledge intellectually. Intellectually. If somebody sits down and reads 20 chapters of the Bible does not necessarily mean I'm hoping that it means and I, I think we are all hoping that it means that they encounter God while they do it it doesn't mean that they have it could definitely just be treated like a textbook where we gain more information and we use it in just a purely academic way and academic sense There is a relationship with God. He wants to speak through His Word to us while we read it. He wants to meet with us as we read it. He wants to show us, hey listen, here's Jesus in here. Here's some truth and wisdom for your life right now. That's what He wants to do with it. So, the question I think has to be asked, well, how can I read my Bible in such a way to where it's just not a knowledge session and I'm actually meeting with him. It's a good question. I think that's the right question to ask. Um, I I have kind of an answer, and it's not really a checklist, but I, I can just I can do my best to try and answer it the best that I can. I would say the best way to read our Bibles is to read through our Bibles, but also let the Word. The Bibles read through us. It might sound confusing, but here's what I mean. I'm all for getting the whole counsel of God. Shoot. We read through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and man, we're gonna cover this sucker for as long as God will keep our church in existence. We're just keep going through it, sharing the good news. And we are not stopping. We're going through it all. And personally, I think it's tremendous value to know the entire Bible and read the entire Bible and have the whole understanding of who God is and about His character. How He acts in particular situations and what He says and how He's treated people in the past and how He treats people now and where Jesus fits in, all that. That matters. So I'm a big fan of like through the Bible in a year. I like that. He's good. I think it's important that eventually, you know, we get there. i got a co-worker at work. He still doesn't believe me that I've read through the Bible. He's you know, you, no, you've never read that. Get out of town. He said, I tried. It can't be done. I said, seriously? Because you tried. You can't do it. You know, it can't be done. So he likes to be sarcastic and joke around. But um, Through the Bible in the year, that's great. It's a, and I think it's a good goal. And I think if God has put that on your heart to do it, I, I, I don't want to steer you away from doing that. Like, go for it. Do that. At the same time, as you read through the Bible, some things, they just, they they stick out or resonate. I don't know what it is. You sit and you just chew over that. You get to a passage, you get to a place, and you're reading your Bible. Well, number one, let me go even further. If it's possible, you try and get alone with this and with the King in a quiet place, distraction-free. So you can't even just focus number one. Like you got to start there. So let's say we've done that. I know that's a big let's say and some of us are working towards that. I get it. But let's just say we've done that now. We're away. We're quiet. Somehow it's been possible. So now we read through, right, with whatever we're reading through. We can, you could read through stuff with church, you know, read ahead, you know, with me here as we go through the Gospels. You have our daily bread. There's like a gazillion Bible plans on the internet. If you've got any apps on your phone, there's about, pick one. Spend some time and choose through it. That's how we get a chance to meet with God. God, this is sticking out to me. I'm not understanding, like, why. What are you trying to, like, speak to me through this? What are you trying to say? Write some stuff down. Wrote down a few notes. Put a few things in the phone on the notepad. Whatever it might be. This is like now how we do the process of how I'm trying to meet with God. I'm not just trying to get my four chapters done for my Bible in a year. I'm trying to encounter God right now because I need Him right now. I need my time with Him right now. I need a true meeting with Him. Not just more knowledge. And I think that's very difficult for us in the Northeast because... Um, we're kind of known as a smart bunch there's a lot of education around here and so it can be very easy and tempting to turn this just into intellectual stimulation and academic knowledge it's supposed to be about heart transformation and surrender to the Holy God does that make sense with Bible study? what the goal is it's not a download on information is to actually meet with them, because it's totally possible to be gaining all kinds of knowledge—Bible knowledge—and going nowhere fast, or in fact, declining. Nobody knew more than the Pharisees, and they're in a bad place. They're in a bad place. Okay, verse twenty-eight. I'm sorry, I took a little bit of while on that. As they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going to go further. Very interesting. So he's pulling the, Hey, nice to talk to with you. You know, it was really great. Nice to meet you. He explained the whole thing and now he left it up to them. Many times that's what God does. He speaks to our hearts. He ministers to us. Sometimes they'll come right in and do a miracle. Other times he's going to say, You know what? I've spoken to your heart. I've made something clear to you. It's up to you now. What are you going to do? So he does that to these people in this case. says, verse 29, they did the right thing. They urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Some people have suggested that this was communion, Um, It may have been. It may not have been. It probably was not because communion wasn't really instated yet. I mean, they just did really their first communion like a week ago in the upper room. So it's not like it was just common practice all across the board. Hey, every time we get together, we're doing communion. But nonetheless, they're communing together. They're wanting to eat together to fellowship together. So that's what they're doing. And in verse 31 it says, Then their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. And then He disappeared from their sight. Whoa. How did they know? Like what happened? What changed? Many Bible commentators suggest that when He broke the bread, He saw the piercings in the wrists. And they said, Oh, maybe, maybe. Either way, something happened in that moment when He broke bread and gave thanks that they saw. And then He disappears. What? Pretty soon we'll get bodies like that. We can disappear and go and move and do things. Verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While He talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us. Remember we said before Emmaus was like named after warm baths or hot springs. It's pretty cool about how the destination where they were headed was maybe hot or maybe burning and it was also happening in their hearts on the way there. It was pretty cool. So look at this, verse 33. This kind of blew me away. I didn't really notice it. In fact, I didn't, honestly, I didn't even notice it until this past week. You just read things in the Bible so many times and sometimes it's like, how did I not see that before? Well, I don't know. The Holy Spirit just revealed it now in that moment. Verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. So they went to Emmaus and left. They're going back to... Where are they going? They're going back there. They just left. They're going to head back next day. Immediately, let's go. Three and a half hour hike. Yay. They're going. Why are they doing that? Why would they hike back again? Tell you what. When we experience being with Jesus and He ministers to our heart in a way that just overwhelms us and can't be described, you don't care how far you have to run somewhere. You don't care who's around. You just want to tell. It's like when you're first in love. First in love. It's awesome you will respond to every email every text you will be thinking about all the time the, the 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 sight and the thought of them will like make you you know, you just get up you you, you are excited it just overtakes you and you're just like, going, Man, life is good you know what I mean, like, you could have lost everything, but like, you are in love it's amazing once Jesus has come in and changed our hearts and our lives in a way we know we could have never done on our own. You don't care where you have to run, where you have to go. You will go further. You will go harder. You will go stronger. It's just what happens when He does a miracle in our hearts and in our lives. Very much like what it says in Isaiah 40. In Isaiah 40... It says that, and you probably have seen this verse before, He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, hope in the Lord, not hope in their circumstance, but hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Man, these guys don't care. They're not getting tired. They're not even thinking about that. Let's go and tell everybody. Let's go and tell everybody. That's how you know if a supposed Bible scholar has been spending a lot of time in the Bible or if they're spending a lot of time with Jesus. If they've been spending a lot of time with Jesus, you can't shut them up. They're so excited about what God is doing in their life. We get to go to church today? Yes! You know? We get to praise? Yes! I get to go sing with other Christians? Yes! You, you, can't, you can't quench it. Because the work is being done. God, bring us to that place. Right? Because intellectual arguments and, you know, persuasions, you know, I might get people to think about things and, You know, we can, you know, joust intellectually back and forth. But man, when there's like a radical story that's being done and you can't shut somebody up and you can't clench their fire and just like, shut up, I can't. You need to know, I got to tell you. So we'll finish the passage here. They got up returned at once to Jerusalem where they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, right? Look at them. You can just picture them like bursting through the door after three and a half hours of walking. They probably jogged, you know? I don't even know if they walked. So it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Remember we talked about him appearing to Simon Peter? In verse 35. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Jesus' presence changed their discouragement. you got to get that. The road to Emmaus, Jesus' presence changed their discouragement. His presence changed their discouragement. When we are feeling down and feeling out and disappointed, the temptation is to... Definitely leave God and leave Jesus out of the equation. Because for many of us that believe in Christ, we believe that He brought the trouble to begin with. But He's looking to do a bigger, better work than we cannot fathom or imagine, like it says in Ephesians. He's looking to do so much through us. So much and bring us places we thought we'd never go, and do things we thought we'd never do. Right? There's only two things in the world that do that to us. Sin can take us places we never thought we'd go, around people we would never thought we'd be around, making decisions we never thought we would make. The other thing that can do that is the life-changing power and salvation of Jesus Christ that can bring us places we thought we would never go. Doing things we thought we would never do. Because we were never qualified or adequate in the first place to do it. But somehow, Jesus has done it. God has done it. I wanted to share one thing with you. One story to close, and then we're taking communion together. i was just thinking about discouragement And, uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but, I could just think of too easily way too many discouragements. I was just like interacting with God and like Lord you know bring to my mind you know that place of where you know these guys were at and where many of your disciples were at as far as discouragement goes. And I felt like it was so easy to just remember some of them. One that sticks out so when we're planting this church um 10, 10 10 at 10 a.m. Hey, that's pretty good. Um, we had service that Sunday. Skipped the next Sunday, had service. And so we kind of did every other like that until um, January in the new year. And um, man, you know, we got together um, as a group. We had like a core group that met and we would pray and we would talk about church. We talk about ministry. We talk about people and you know, what God was trying to do and maybe how He was trying to work. And we, we like, read through a book together and had other churches on board to help out. Um, We sent out, uh, I don't know, all kinds of, like, invitation cards and postcards. And sorry, if you got one and you got bombarded. Um, And we, uh, you know, plastered people's cars with information. I mean, we just did all kinds of stuff. So many people in prayer behind, and we met and prayed for like a year, year and a half before we actually, quote unquote, launched and started church together. So that Sunday, you know, we're about to start 10 10 10 at 10 a.m. We had 10 people, we we're at the Elks Lodge, Crosstown Rubber Ave. We had 10 people to come help and set up. This is our setup crew. People from other churches, too. Um, so it was like me, Julie. Uh, A couple family members. And a few people from other churches. There was four people that showed up. Four. There was more in the setup crew than there was the people there there for church. And like, you know. So I come home with Julie and she's like. What was, you know. Like it was cool and it was a good day. She's like. That that wasn't real encouraging. And I was like, no, it, it really wasn't. You know, like, God put stuff in, 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 in working motion and He's putting things together, but I can't see anything right now. I just see, we put in a lot of hard work and effort uh, and that's it. And the next week, I think we went backwards. We went down to two. There's a vote of confidence for you. So you're like, are we even doing what God wants us to do? And, So time goes on, and um, it doesn't get um, a lot better, really. And we come into January, so now we start having services every Sunday. So, uh, oh my God, boy! Now, like this has to be in our face every Sunday. We keep continuing to pour out, and like God just seems like to not care or not show up or do anything. And uh, I get a phone call and an email. Uh, From, it's not really my mother-in-law, but it's my sister's husband's mom. And so, Julie and I are just feeling discouraged, you know. We're just at a rough place. And it's like, Lord, you know, we we really feel like you've called us to do this, you know. What are you doing? Uh, We've tried to be as faithful as we can. And what's going on? So, we're like feeling down, you know. We are feeling down. The two of us are bumming. So, here's the email I get, randomly. And actually, I get a phone call first before the email, because she's like, hey, I emailed you something. Did you see it? So, um, here is what it said, the email. It says, here's what God gave me to give you. So, right away, Julie and I are like turned in to the, to, you know, after the first line. Really, we need something from God right now because it's like, what are we doing and where are we going? It says, keep your hand to the plow. Do not grow weary. I am the Lord who called you, right? I'm already preparing those who I have assigned to you. They're coming to help you as a field hand works with the farmer. They will come and do the work with you and the people of the land will hear of my work and they will come with curiosity and be amazed at what I have done I'm going to do. They will turn from their waywardness. My kingdom will be true worshippers and intercessors who have my heart. Stay focused on me and I will strengthen you. You have asked questions. It's tough not even to... Right? Right? Because when you're discouraged and you get pulled out, right, you've asked questions. You've not complained. My answer to you is yes. Your questions have been asked in the silent place. But, my son, my answer to you is yes, right? I have called you. Yes, I will provide abundantly for you because I am your God and you are my beloved keep your hands to the plow I will provide for the work I have called you and I will provide for your life and then she put some verses with that how powerful is something like that Uh, so I get the phone call we're at like a a friend's house and uh, it was like uh, in January after New Year's and there's a bunch of other like uh, Christians there and church stuff and you know, of course, people were asking, you know, also, well, how's the church thing going? Like, how's it coming? And Julie and I like, you know, yeah, it's going, you know, we're, it's cool. <laughs> you know, and not at all feeling that. And um, I saw that she called, and I couldn't really answer during the party, so I called on way home, and she's like, did you get my email? And I'm like, I, I don't know, you know, I didn't even notice. And She goes, well, listen, I just want to tell it to you, I just want to read it to you. So I'm like, oh great, you know, what is this going to be? So I said, okay, hold on. So I put on speakerphone. So Julie and I, so I'm, dro- I know, I'm driving, I'm on the phone. I am, yes, I'm sorry, sorry, forgive me. Driving, I have a speakerphone though, so I put the speakerphone on. We're like, you know, ears to it. What is this going to be? Man, we just melted and sobbed in that car together. I, I, I think I pulled over because I couldn't even see straight. She is with me and uh, powerful. Powerful. From there, I was like, you know what? I ain't stopping. I don't feel like it's time. My my wife hasn't told me that it's like time and I'm going further than I thought I could go. I'm going to go harder than I thought I could go. Whatever it is, we are doing it, babe. Like, do you believe this is from the Lord, babe? She's like, I do. She's like, it just feels right. I know it's tough right now, but and we are like, we're just a mess. So once that happened, I don't care what you could have said to us or what you could have done. Didn't matter because God made something clear to us. You just go and you march on with that message. You made it very clear to us. And I think that's the message, you know, through us is that the discouragement, you know, whatever, it's coming. Whatever, it's coming. Doesn't matter. But if we can meet with Jesus and know that He's in full control and nothing's outside of His control and He is working for the good for those who love him for those that are being conformed to his son so we're being conformed to Jesus that hurts but he's also at work there is a master plan and we can trust him for it and once he brings us out of those lows you can't do anything to stop it and I think it's just awesome that because of that I don't know how many summers have gone by. Immediately right away, Georgie and his sister started showing up to church, which is awesome. They've been there almost since day one. They're amazing. We had this older gentleman, George Marlock, that would come, and he ended up passing, which was sad. And But he was great. We had a beloved uh, uh, young lady, Clarissa, who's in medical school now. She was here before. And like God likes to start to piece stuff together. It was slow, but started to piece stuff together. And so now... God is using our little church to make disciples, to baptize people. And I tell you, during the week, I get calls and um, I get in conversations, and people are making moves and they're making radical choices to put God at the center of their life. Yes! It's awesome. And so now, right, the idea is we get our body, you know, going together, and we start functioning together like that. That's a healthy, functioning church. It's a healthy, functioning church. So God offers a better plan than just discouragement. And uh, there's one other thing I wanted to show you here. As far as discouragement goes, the devil has a plan for our life. I thought this was pretty accurate and pretty good. The devil has a plan for our life. Doubt to make you question God's word and his goodness. Discouragement to make you look at your problems rather than at God. Diversion to make the wrong things seem attractive so you want them more than the right things. Defeat to make you feel like a failure so you don't even try. And delay to make you put off something so that it never gets done master plan with five D's and none of them are good so what we're going to do is we're going to have communion time and um, Justin uh, is going to come up and strum a little bit for us um, while we do uh, communion so hopefully we uh, spend the time bringing whatever maybe discouragements or frustrations we might need to bring before God if we're current on that, and we have been, then that is good. Then I would say, let's also use this time to Lord. Show me Jesus in your word. Show me Jesus in my Bible study. Show me how it points to Jesus. God, help me to experience your presence more than just intellectual knowledge through the Bible. So, what we're we going to... Are you set? Okay. Yeah, so what we'll do is we'll do communion. Um, we'll just have it. If you choose to take part in communion, we'll come right up here. You can take the elements, hold on to them, because um, we will uh, we'll take it together. And, uh, you know, you want to take communion. If you could be at the place where you say... Uh, Jesus, I want you at the center of my life. I agree to life on your terms. And I am receiving what you have done on the cross for me. Then you take communion. If you can't say that in all full confidence, then you don't. Because it really doesn't mean much. And uh, I know it's not a big room with a lot of people here. But it's more important that like we be... Focused on an audience of one than the audience of others, right? This is his time and communion is his thing between you and him. So if you want to come up and take it, go ahead. If you don't, then don't. Um, but if you do take it, uh, if you do, uh, yeah, take it. Come up, grab the elements, hold on to it. Then we'll.